thanks, Pastor Chris, for allowing me to speak. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm Mark. And um, yeah, I'm the guy who sits behind Chris making fun of him all the time. And I'm going to go tell all my pastor friends that Pastor Chris said next week is BYOB Sunday. And uh, I'm going to tell everybody he said that. So you count on that. Take your Bibles, would you, and look into the book of James. The book of James is where we're going to look. And I'm going to read it in two different translations. Uh, your first, we're going to start off in the New International Version. And then we're going to read it in the New Living Translation. Okay? So if you have an app on your phone... Uh, you might want to just go and look at the New Living Translation, um, and that way you can do it. It will be on the screen for us. Again, thanks, Pastor Chris. I, I think the world of this, uh, Pastor Chris and Lisa, uh, honestly, um, we are very blessed to have them as pastors. And I am I'm very proud to call him a friend. So thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Father, give us your wisdom. Uh, I pray this will be a blessing unto your people. I pray it will uh, give them understanding of maybe in an area that has, has been kind of foggy and even to the point of a new perception. I, I'm not wanting my words. In fact, I'm really sensing an inadequacy right now. Uh, I'm feeling it more than, than, than normal. And I just pray, Father, for your hand. Um, and I just pray that you will speak to your people in Christ's name. Amen. Here you go. Verse 5, chapter 1, New International Version. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. And here's verse 7. Here's one that we've, we've heard in many different ways. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Kind of foreboding there a little bit. Now, in the New Living Translation, the same verses. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for the person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as the wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Verse 7, such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. You know, um, I, I'm, I'm a person who absolutely, absolutely believes in the miraculous. I, I'm a product of that. I'm here because of the miraculous. I, I've seen the Lord do miraculous things. But in many ways, I struggle. I struggle greatly with this whole thing of faith. So let me begin by saying this to you, that the, the image of God that you have will really determine the level of relationship you have with God. Now, what do I mean by that? If I was going to ask you to just to stop and just to contemplate and think how you believe God sees you and looks at you, that really will determine your relationship with God, your trust factor. Now, I know, I know that most of you, if I ask you to do that, you would go, oh, well, I've got this idea. But with a little coaching, a little understanding, and we eliminate all of our expected Christianese, we kind of come down to what we really see in our mind of how God views us. Whenever, for many years, for multiple years of my life, I view God not as being hateful, but being just a little bit irritated with me. Just, 
just a little bit. And in many ways, it was very synonymous with the way my dad, my earthly dad, is that whenever I just didn't do things right, he would kind of cross his arms and he would just have this look of just, just a little bit irritated, like, can't you get that? I mean, what, what's the problem here? I've told you. And sometimes I came to God and I come to spiritual things with that same deal, that I didn't have enough faith, that I, my faith just wouldn't, wasn't right. And I had this guilt and this shame that was continuously a part of my life. Or, or I, didn't, I didn't match up to, to the Christian standard. I, I stumbled. I fell. I had some chronic issues. And so thus I had this view that God was just constantly irritated. Not, not angry, just irritated. And so my relationship with God was at that level. Majority of my prayer life, if whenever I did pray, was more about God. I'm sorry. I, I'm I'm apologizing for all this, and it really came focused when it come to the issue of faith, because what I started thinking is that the stronger the faith I had, the less doubt I had. So there was like a balance. So my whole objective was to get my doubt down so that my faith would be stronger. And I put together two points. One is that if I got my doubt down, then my faith would be stronger and God would be more active in my life and really be less irritated with me. And so I had this psychological struggle that was constantly going on with me of trying to get my doubts down. Now, there are some individuals, bless your heart if you're one of these, I'm just not one of them. That life is pretty simple. Life is just, you know, kind of go with it. it, it you know, it, it's, just, it's just easy. It's not complex. You know, you take things on face value. If that's one of you, bless you. I think you need therapy, but bless you. But I'm, what about all the rest of us? People like me who struggle and have questions and, and, and when life issues kind of, throw a curveball that makes it even a little bit more complex. You, you start asking, then my issues with doubt became a little bit more con concerning and more to the point where I felt like it was an even swap, that I would have faith, but it would only be for short term, and then the doubts would kind of get stronger. And then here it goes. And I ran into many people like that, people who ask like, you know, questions such as, you know, what, what kind of doubts disqualifies me from salvation? What, do, do, what, what is the amount of faith that I need to have? What's the level of faith I need to have to see the heart of my husband turn? Is, 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 it, is it because that I'm really not confident that God is concerned about my family and my situation? Is that the reason why my daughter's not being healed? What, why is it? Why is it that, that others are, are, are seeing a difference financially with their job? But I've asked it. It just hasn't happened. Is it because I don't have the right kind of faith? Is it because I'm, I have too much doubt? And so all of those questions really comes down to the point that we fell to the lie. I, I believe it's a lie. That the more that I get my doubt down and I get my faith up, the more God's going to be in in my life. And so whenever I don't have that, it's because I'm messing up. I'm the mess up. 
And so you can see the psychological torture of trying to make this work. I don't know how many of y'all, uh, I'm sure everybody's been to the fair. If you ever want to feel better about yourself, just go to the fair. And just look around and you're going to go home and go, we're got it together here. But I was raised in the hills of Arkansas and one of the big things was the annual summer fair. And it would come and we would all flock to it and we would ride those rides that honestly never had a health or safety rating ever on those. But there was one game that was always there and that was the one in which you would take the mallet and you would strike as hard as you can at this lever and it would shoot the puck up and the goal was to ring the bell. And, you know, they would have all sorts of comical things, you know, like, you know, super weakling, you know, peon, and he-man, and then finally up at the very top, it was like, you the Hercules, you know. And so I remember, even as a little boy, I would try to take that mallet that weighed more than I did, and I would try my best to swing it, and I'd get just a little bit, you know, and all my friends would make fun of me and everything. But I realized that that really was a lot of ways that I was doing prayer is that I was trying to take the faith mallet and come up with enough stuff I could smack it and send the faith puck up and hopefully ring the bell for a miracle. And that was the goal that I had. That was the thing that I was constantly doing. And so whenever I couldn't ring the bell, guess what? It was because of me. So I would look at the verse in Matthew 9 whenever the man came to Jesus and and Jesus said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And I interpreted that, that I had to somehow get my doubt down so that I'd have enough spiritual muscle so I could knock the puck up and get the miracle bell rung. Or I, even in Mark 9, whenever the man came to Jesus in a point of authenticity and, and just vulnerability said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And so that's that right there said to me that I needed to to somehow come up with some help. It's the reason why a lot of people don't pray, but they try to find somebody who they think really can pray. And most of those are grandmothers. I don't know why, but mostly grandmothers. And I've had it said to me countless times, hey, God doesn't really hear my prayer. I need you to pray for this. You can touch God. I, I want you to believe God for this because I just, well, you know what we're saying? We're saying that we don't have the strength to, bam, to knock that faith puck all the way up. So what was the, what's the goal? The goal was constantly trying to figure out what I was doing wrong. So I started doing more stuff. I said, well, if I fast or if I read the Bible every week or I pray, you know, or do this or, or, you know, I start, you know, giving more. I started thinking all these things were going to help me build up my spiritual muscles so I could push down the doubt. And raise up the puck. I've been invited multiple times to uh, prayer events for individuals who are going through very deep waters. Some of them uh, in relationships and prayer for uh, healing, prayer for deliverance from addictions and all these kind of things. And I, I've, I've led them. I've been a part of them. And it was it's not uncommon for for us to gather and then there would be a, a word of encouragement that would be that would be said like in, in Matthew 9, 29, according to your faith, be it done unto you. And it would be an admonishment. Now, we, we need to believe. I, I've even had individuals in these prayer meetings who would go around and, and, and they were good spirited. They didn't mean this evil. 
They would go around, they'd go down. Now, if there's any doubt, you need to get out of this room because we just need people who believe. And, and, you know, I'd see people walk out of the room, just walk out because they're going. And then we'd start praying. And, and let's just use a, a, an illustration of someone who needed a miracle of healing. And we start praying. And then suddenly I started realizing that I was doing this mental gymnastics of trying to convince myself that I had enough faith to believe for this miracle. And I started, and, I, and listen, I'm not trying to say this is wrong. I'm just saying where I was at is I started doing this tug of war. And I started saying, well, do I, do I believe? Do I not? Do I have enough? Do I have, do I have, you know? And I started, I started trying different things and none of these are wrong. I'm just saying this is what I was trying to do to make myself believe is that I'd pray loud. Or, 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 I'd, or I'd find a verse and I'd start, you know, repeating and declaring it and repeating it and declaring it. Or I would, I would, you know, sing or I'd do all these things, trying to mentally make myself where I would say, I believe that I believe. And a miracle would come. And when it would not come, or it did not happen at that particular time, then I had to start, I had to start spinning the story because I, you know, hey, I, I didn't hit the puck up. I, I didn't make it all the way up. So I had to spin the story. And I started coming up with some, some really bad, bad theology to justify why not. I mean, to the point where some of it was just, just wrong. So I, I started realizing that in hitting that faith puck, I, I started evaluating what was enough faith. And so if you hit it a little bit, that's saving faith. Oh, that didn't take much at all. All you got to do is just kind of drop the hammer on there. But then get it up a little bit higher. You got to have a little bit higher. Than, then, then you can start praying for a car on that level right there. You know, that's a, that's a car level. Yeah. And if you get up about 50%, that about halfway, that's whenever you start praying about finances, marriage, bad stomach, you know, hair loss, all that stuff. That's right there at that level. 75%, oh, that's a miracle zone. That's the miracle zone. That's whenever you really start praying for the big stuff and whenever you get kind of get a reputation. Yep, he can hit it all the way. And if you hit the bell, oh my, that's in the whatever you ask for. That's one of those scriptures says in, Mark, in uh, tw Matthew 21. But if you believe, you can ask anything in my name. And suddenly I started realizing that I was doing things that was more for my psychological good than really what the scripture was saying. It's for my mental mind. I, I need to give you just a, can I, can I just give you a, just pause here and give you a word of encouragement? I, I just want to give this to you. And that is this, is that whatever your faith is, whatever your belief is, whatever your practice is, what image of God does it project? What image of God? In your life, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, what image of God are you projecting to those around you? In our culture, listen, in America right now, those of us who, who, who are identified as evangelical, we're, we, are, we are seen as angry, unforgiving, rigid, angry people. That's not projecting the love of God. If your faith, if, if your practice, if your belief system is projecting anything but Christ and Him crucified and His endless love and sacrificial life, 
then you need to change. Because I started realizing that in that prayer meeting, while I was praying for folks, trying to do that, you know what I, now this is just me. What I was projecting was that God was, got his arm crossed. He's got, kind of got this irritated look. And he's saying, okay, Mark, okay, Mark, if you don't come up with enough faith, I'm not going to heal him. I'm going to hold him ransom until you show up, until you do it. And that was the projection. And suddenly it dawned upon me that I wasn't a loving God. That was a demented deity who was doing psychological torture. And I had to totally break free from this of trying to bang the thing and get the miracle bell going. So how do you do that? How? How is that possible? Well, let me just give you a couple things, and then we'll, we'll come to a close, all right? And we're going to come to a close by giving you an opportunity to pray for things that are important to you. The, the very first thing is this, is that I want you to just grasp the idea of difference between faith and belief. Now, now, whenever we read in the scripture, faith and belief, and even in our own conversations, we interchange these all the time. We, we say faith, we say belief. It, for us, it means the same thing. And I totally understand that. And in scripture, it's interchangeable. But really, whenever you look at it, belief in, in the American culture, belief is whenever I just agree with a mental conviction that something is right. It's just, it's a belief. Uh, yeah, I believe it's true. So that's, that's the majority of individuals in America, whenever they ask, Are you, do you believe in Jesus Christ? They'll go, yeah. So in the, the same way that I believe the world is round. Now, I've never been in outer space. I've never, I've never seen it myself. I just believe. But it has no impact in my life. <clears throat> it has no bearing whatsoever. I just believe. But faith in the scripture is based in a covenant idea where it basically is this, where there is a commitment to be trusting, to be trustworthy, and to show your trust to another person in a committed relationship. It's to be trustworthy yourself and to trust another individual in a committed relationship. You got it? Now, I know that's a little bit different from one where we think of faith, because most of us, when we think of faith, it's something we got to build to. But faith in the scripture is this, is that I have a commitment. I've committed to be trustworthy and to trust you in a relationship. So what am I saying here? What's the difference between the two? The difference is this, is that whenever I have a covenant relationship with God, that's the closest thing that I could give you a word for. And that covenant relationship is more like marriage than anything else. Because how? Whenever you as a couple, you come together and you, you commit yourselves one to another. You do not commit yourself legally. You don't commit yourself in some sort of contract. You are saying, I trust you as a person not what you will do, not what you pro provide, but as a person. And I also commit, I will be trustworthy to you. That's what a marriage is all about. 
So whenever we look at these kind of things, we've got to understand that God is not looking for us to have this monstrous faith, this psychological purity, that he would have this, this absolute perfection in behavior. He's saying, I want you to be committed to me and I will be committed to you. That's the idea of faith. That's what he's talking about. Now, whenever we have that as the basis, what does that really mean to us? Here, here's a good thing. And that is that we've got to grasp the concept that God is wanting us to be in covenant with him and not necessarily in just some sort of obedient, robotic place with him. All right, I can tell y'all getting a little glazed over, so let me just keep going with the concept. What, what am I trying to get to? The, great, the, the main theologians we have in our life that are basically shaped our thinking here in this building is uh, Augustine in the old and then Martin Luther and John Calvin, those three. All three of those individuals were trained as lawyers before they became theologians. So they brought this legal mindset into a lot of the teaching which we have now. And so let me give you a good illustration of that. A good illustration is that the majority of you have heard some preacher at some time give the story of or give the illustration that God the Father is a judge. We're the defendants. We're the guilty defendants. We're, we're, dead, to, in our, we're dead to rights. We're guilty. And Jesus is our defense attorney. And Jesus is the one who is our advocate with the Father. And we view God as, as the one who's kind of hard and rigid. We view Jesus as the one who's going, hey, man, I'm going to help you out. We have this image. And then we, what happens is that through Christ and, and the atonement, that there's now a legal loophole where Jesus convinces God to he'll take all the punishment instead of us. And we have that legal scenario there. Is there anything wrong with it? Not at all. But the problem that's happened to us in America is this, is that we are now thinking of our relationship with God as a contract and not a covenant. Is that we look at the Word of God as a contract and not as a covenant. We look at, okay, what have I got to do to be saved? What, is, what do I need to say to be saved? What, 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 what is, what is, uh, what is uh, uh, blaspheming the Holy Spirit? What is fornication? What is lust? What is unforgiveness? Give me the definition of that. I want to know what is right, what is wrong. And we do that. What's my illustration here? My illustration is kind of like a car dealer. If I go to buy a car, I sign a contract that says that I will make the payments. I get the car. I get the car. And as long as I make the payments, I keep the car. I stop making the payments. He gets it back. That's a contract. That's a legal agreement between. Covenant is like whenever Devon and Mary got married. They looked to each other and they said, I commit myself to you. They don't have a long, there wasn't a long contract that they signed. There wasn't anything of which that they, they said, okay, now on Tuesdays, I got it writing, is laundry day. And you're going to do laundry on laundry day. If you don't do it, you, say, I'm, you see what my point is. Is that the majority of us have taken this legal mindset and we're looking at God through this legal way of trying to say, okay, God, 
in, in America, because we, we love to say we have rights. We have legal rights. You can't do that because I got rights. And we do that even in prayer. We, we'll grab a hold of the promises of God. We'll say, here are the promises of God. I'm going to declare them. This is what they are. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying that's, that's a contractual mindset. Instead of understanding that my wife and I, we do things not because she's legally bound, but because we're in relationship. God is not going to answer your prayer because you have a certain amount of faith or that you've rung the bell, or that you have a certain amount of purity, that you haven't messed up. He's going to do it because he loves you. And because he's in relationship with you. And because he is, as the scripture says, you know what? It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Marriage supper of the Lamb. The scriptures throughout the word is written in covenant. It's not written in legalese. So many times we try to search the scripture to find the legal way to do this and to get the answer from God because we've got it figured out. We've got the best interpretation of this passage. God didn't write the scripture as a legal document. He wrote it as a covenant. And he's wanting you to be in covenant. So what am I saying to you? I come to prayer not trying to ascertain, do I have any doubt? I do. I do, but it's just like Jeannie and me. Whenever she called me up the other day and she said, hey, would you stop by and pick up these items on your way home? I, she didn't have to say, because, hey, I, I married you. You got to do it. No. You know what I said? Sure. Why? Because we're in relationship. When you come to God in prayer, you don't come with this list. Okay, God. I got 75% faith. I'm in relationship. When Jeannie married me, she knew my flaws. She knew, she knows them more now that we've been married for 43 years. But she still has that commitment. God is not looking for your perfection. He's not looking for you to say, okay, God, I've got it. He's saying, I'm married to you and you're married to me and that's all that it takes. So where, where are we going with all this? We're going back to the scripture, but I just want to give you more than anything this statement. That faith is about trusting in the beautiful character of Christ as our heavenly husband. About being transformed from the inside out by the power of his unending love and by learning how to live in the power of the Holy Spirit as a trustworthy spouse. That's what it's about. It's not about us trying to ascertain or saying, I got it together, I've got it. It's the fact that he loves you with an unending love and he's committed to you and wanting the best for you because he is married in connection with you. Jeannie and I, whenever we got married, we learned a lot, but now we have become interwoven with one another. Our successor together. We have become one flesh. That's what happens with us in the walk with God, is that we are able to come together whenever we, as the scripture says, we had the mind of Christ and He has, we, you know, all that kind of stuff. Because why? 
It's not based upon my performance. It's not based upon how much doubt I can eliminate. It's based on the fact that he loves me. That's what it's based on. So let's go back to the text. The text says, if you need wisdom, ask, generous, uh, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you. And he will, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person divided loyalty as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown tossed by the wind. Such people should never even ask. What is he doing? Many times we take that passage and we go, if you got any doubt, that's not the image there. What the image is, is whenever a person would be sitting in a room and saying, am I going to be faithful to my husband or am I going to have this affair? Am I going to be faithful to my wife or am I going to have this affair with this lady? It says that type of person is divided. They don't need to even ask. That's what he's saying to us. He's not saying to you, do you have enough faith? Do you have, have you pushed down your doubt? He is saying, are you being trustworthy? Are you, do you trust and are you being trustworthy in your relationship with him? He says, if that's the case, ask, ask, because your generous God will give it to you. I, uh, a few years ago, I uh, just, just came home. It was uh, really, to be honest with you, about three or four days before a birthday. And I've had a bunch of them. And so, as you can imagine, it wasn't. But it wasn't anything spectacular. It was just a day. And uh, my wife, Jeannie, she said, uh, how's it going? I go, well, you know, rattled it off. She goes, well, um, I, I need you to go outside. And I went, okay, sure. What, what do we need to do? First thing is she plants like you would not believe. During COVID, we planted 268 plants. Yes, I did count them by the way, 268. And the, when we planted the last one, her statement was, you know, they got a sale going on. I said, you cannot buy another plant, you know? <laughs> so I, I immediately thought, hey, we're, we're just going to do it. And, and just to go to the punchline, there was a, uh, I love old cars. I love rebuilding them. There was a 1978 CJ5 Jeep there. And I went, wow, what, wow. So what was the first question? Why did you do this? It was not because I asked and because uh, I earned it. It was not because I did all these things. It was based in the love of the relationship. God wants to bless you not because you have the right amount of faith. He's not wanting to bless. To, uh, that's my timer. I'm out of time. So <laughs> That's it. What I did is I've always watched how long Pastor Chris preaches, and it's two minutes less. That's what it is. So that way I could say I'm just under the gun there. God's not wanting to answer your prayer because you got it right. He's wanting to answer your prayer because you're in relationship with him. So let me end with this, and then we're going to pray. Folks, it's not, it's not anything about what you have done in the past what prayer you prayed, or anything like that. that. What it's about is how are you honoring your pledge that you've made to Christ by living as a trustworthy spouse now? It's not what you've done in the past. It's what you're doing now. Is it with perfection? No, no, you're never going to make that. 
But is, is it just as much as you try and you strive to please your spouse, I strive to please my father.